Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, I'm going to be speaking about a few important and uh, very relevant topics that uh, are sometimes marginalized in light of so much hustle and bustle in the political, economic worlds, social worlds, so that certain things just get uh, swept under the carpet or just sort of pushed out to the margins. And that's not good, and that's not fair, and it makes us all less human. And you could say that the underlying motif of today's show is uh, how to become actually more human. And interestingly, this whole subject of uh, the current uh, pandemic, COVID-19, is bringing so much up to the foreground for us all to review. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. No one wants a pandemic, and it would have been way better if we had been able to think about a lot of things beforehand without having this, in a sense, shoved in front of our faces. But it seems that that's the way humanity works. It works by crisis, by emergency. It does not, as a group, do much relative to planning ahead and being preventative. I mean, it's our old grandmothers who always used to say something like, um, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Well, why don't we listen to grandma? I think we'd be all a lot better off. You know, uh, one of my activities is being involved in the Pachamama Alliance, and so is A Better World in many respects. We have great uh, respect for that organization and just adore so much of its good works around the world and in the Amazon, of course. And just this past week, one of the members in my Game Changer Intensive group that I'm a student in and will be uh, facilitating starting next month, and any of you who would like to join PachamamaAlliance.org and sign up, it's free, Game Changer Intensive it's called, and I'll be teaching one on Monday nights, I believe, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So uh, sign up, join me. If you're not able to make that time, sign up for anyone's because it's offered about, I don't know, there could be six to ten groups or 12 groups around the world that are uh, populating, I think, uh, Sunday nights, Monday nights, and Tuesday nights, something of that sort. I'll be doing Monday at 8 because that's just the better time for me to be free. But one of our fellow group members sent out a beautiful poem about the pandemic. And the central theme was something that I've actually been talking about with people in many ways. But this was a, had a particular meme, if you will, that I very much appreciated, which is consider this moment in time 
like the Jews consider the Sabbath. It's a time of introspection. It's a time of not doing. It's a time of retreat, of contemplation, of enjoyment and laughter as well. <clears throat> it does not exclude fun at all. But what it does exclude is a lot of work and it excludes a lot of doing and coming and going because uh, everything's by foot, actually, <laughs> to be orthodox about it. I felt that that was very wise. I have uh, further kind of a cast this time period as very yin, very inward, very receptive, um, not to the infection, but to the uh, intelligence that is being made available through our reflection on how do things like this happen, how do these things bring come forth in our world, and what can we as a collective do about it. So I want to encourage all of you to kind of step up to that perspective on this. I know many people are afraid. Many people are also even in panic mode and the like. And I want to encourage you that those reactions are completely uh, unproductive, not useful, reptilian in nature, quite honestly, and are uh, not really mature. Now, do we do things that are not mature? Oh, boy. Glad you asked. All the time. Well, not all the time. That's not true. But a lot of the time we can have, you know, what we could call primitive reactions to things, to people, to situations, uh, to ourselves. And it's not good. It's really not good. It's nothing to be proud of. It's, it's good to be aware of. It's a good to say something about. It's good to reflect on so that we can upgrade. That's what we need to do. We need. And this situation is an opportunity to do just that. We want to look at ourselves and see whether or not we are thinking only of ourselves. Are we thinking of others? Are we hoarding? buying up all the toilet paper we can get our hands on and leaving others without, and food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Or do we think about our neighbors and others and take them into consideration as well? You know, we had the situation in my life around the time of Y2K, if any of you remember that, 20 years ago, <clears throat> where we were uh, concerned that the computers would not be able to switch from 1999 to 2000. Remember all that? And there was a tremendous amount of hoopla and a lot of fear and a lot of panic and a lot of anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The world was going to sort of come crashing to an end as the way we knew it, on and on. A lot of people were cashing in on this fear and others with whom I was fortunately associated, said, hey, 
this is an amazing time to build community. Let's take advantage of that. Let's take advantage of the ability to join with others on a deeper, higher, more intimate level and extend, extend an olive branch, a, a hand. How can we help each other and join together collaboratively and cooperatively to uh, be of service to each other? Whoa, what a different world does that make? And that's what many of us are encouraging again right now. It's different now because there's this uh, idea of social distancing. <coughs> but we can come together, honestly, um, rather miraculously through media, um, through the digital world, the online world. So we're not able to infect each other as far as we know. But we are uh, still able to make close contact. And that's a beautiful thing. So I want to encourage us all to see that this COVID-19 actually comes with some opportunities and blessings, a chance to actually make a better world, to be more human and humane with each other, more ethical, more in service, more, <laughs> well, maybe not more connected, but maybe Maybe even that. Ironically and paradoxically, even though we can't even stand next to each other and touch each other <laughs> much at all, I should say. <laughs> so, the irony is not lost on me, my friends. Not at all, nor should it be lost on you. So uh, we can take a good chuckle at that part of it all. <clears throat> but I want to come around to... Uh, Assessing our reaction to the situation. There are many things I could dwell on, like uh, Mr. Trump's called president, uh, who has distanced himself from his populace, from his base, from everyone, with the incredibly irresponsible, self-interested, narcissistic way he's been dealing with this, because he has not extended any sense of warmth or caring or comfort to this nation or to the world for that matter. Instead, he's been dismissive. He's been lying as usual about it. He's not been taking and weighing in the good news with the bad, real, honest news. Um, it's one thing to uh, be encouraging. It's another thing to be blind to the reality on the ground of what's going on. And where the buck stops, as Harry Truman said, the buck stops here in the Oval Office, and he completely eschewed that idea by saying, I take no responsibility at all. I mean, what kind of president could, or person for that matter, let alone president, say something as absurd and immature and disrespectful as that, disrespectful of the office, he just doesn't understand. He does not understand what the office is about and for. He sees it as a cash register and as a chance for self-aggrandizement and self-glorification. It's pretty obvious to any halfway astute observer that 
that is what the office is for him. It's a feather in the cap. It's a notch in the buckle, in the belt. Oh, my God. It's so sad. It's so sad and so pathetic that this country's um, educational levels and everything else could see him as someone uh, that would actually care about the populace. I mean, it's just... a billionaire from New York who spent his life ripping people off, including blue-collar workers, any chance he could, as well as white-collar. He doesn't really discriminate. I mean, as the someone who's going to be going to bat for the working man, I mean, <laughs> it just shows the quality of his salesmanship. It really does. And I guess you could say, you know, hats off to that. Um, He was able to lie and be persuasive enough. But even that should be held with a grain or two or three of salt because it was really, from my point of view, um, the Russian, not meddling, the Russian direct targeted interference um, on numerous levels with the election in 2016. And everybody knows it. 17 intelligence agencies knows it, know it. And, you know, uh, I don't have a whole lot of respect all the time for those agencies either. Historically, with J. Edgar Hoover and the rest of the lot, they have been troubling and worrisome in this country, having caused a tremendous amount of, uh, to the civil rights movement, you know, responsible for murders and assassinations of Native Americans such as Leonard Pelletier, such as Martin Luther King, and who knows, maybe even JFK and RFK. It's truly a a very questionable group. The FBI, the CIA, and all the others have weighed in in one truly detrimental, deleterious, destructive unethical, illegal, illegitimate, inappropriate way or another over the course of many decades. Don't get me wrong. I am not a great supporter or advocate. However, one needs to be discerning and see that there are some times when they have been god-awful antagonistic to true democracy and freedom in this country and they've been racist and sexist and you name it and then there are other times when they have been helpful there are rank and file agents in each of those agencies that are true Americans who are truly in service nonpartisan on uh, apolitical and have been truly doing much to protect Americans and others. So, you know, as much as it is tempting to just be black and white about these things, the reality is that the color is much more gray. But coming back around, There are many things on which to reflect here, as I mentioned some of them. The uh, idea of being selfish and hoarding, which we have seen many, many examples of, and price gouging on things like, you know, uh, 
hand sanitizers and uh, people stealing respirators from hospitals. And I mean, just, just things that are not to be believed. And then there are others who are as selfless as life can be. Nurses up in New Rochelle, Westchester County, for instance, in uh, New York, <clears throat> who have putting their, put their lives on the line over and over again to help test and protect and heal others. And they need to be lauded and applauded and extolled. And it goes across the country and across the world. It's happening in every country. China, India, Italy, Iran. There are those health care workers <clears throat> who are doing extraordinary selfless work on behalf of others, and so is the world. I mean, this is it. This is our species. We have those who are advanced intellectually and emotionally and spiritually, and there are those who are, well, developing souls that way. Mr. George Ivanovich Gurdjieff used to say that there are some people with with baby souls and maybe even some without any at all <clears throat> and that may well be true so i want to say that this covid-19 situation which is difficult for us all and most likely getting more difficult as the days and weeks and probably months pass is also giving us an opportunity to be wonderfully wonderfully humane, understanding, prayerful, and compassionate. So I would really encourage all of you, my listeners, to regard the current situation this way. You could say it's a bit of a, a higher, more elevated perspective on what's going on. And that attitude can probably be very helpful to a lot of people in your immediate circles, both home, family, friends, work, and the like. So you want to bear that in mind. Now, one of the other ways that I cast tonight's talk was No More War and the development of a peace department, a department of peace. Uh, that is something that... Uh, representative and one-time Democratic presidential candidate uh, or nominee for the Democratic Party, Denik Dennis Kucinich from Ohio, started to popularize. Others have thought about such things in one form or another, but he just came right out and said, we don't need a war department, we need a department of peace. We need to wage not war, but peace. And I couldn't agree with him more. And if you think about the trillions of dollars being wasted on military budgets, we could transform those budgets into health care, education, 
shelter, food, urban farming, and the like. That money could be used for truly productive purposes. But we don't do that. Each country has its own respective military budget, here in the United States being the largest of them all by by many-fold, many-fold. And war is hardly fought on battlefields anymore anywhere. Anyway, they're fought more in cyberspace. <clears throat> so the cost of waging war there is a fraction of what it's like to have heavy-duty armaments and tanks and planes and bullets and aircraft carriers and the rest. I mean, uh, submarines nuclear. I mean, it's madness. When is the world going to wake up and stop this nonsense? And that's what today's show is really kind of calling to. It's calling to our deeper humanity, the unhypnotized, the deprogrammed humanity that knows in its heart and soul and mind how ludicrous the situation is that has become normalized and consensus built around it. <clears throat> and that's what makes it difficult because the idea of war, the idea of poverty, the idea of homelessness, the idea of, of hunger have become so endemic, so embedded in our psyche that we have very little distance from it, very little objectivity toward these things, and therefore sort of make the tacit assumption that these are here to stay. These are part of humanity and what we call, very loosely and broadly and glibly call, human civilization. Well, how can you have a civilization that allows any of those that I just named? You really cannot. It doesn't deserve the name civilization. Granted, the words civil and civis, civis, you know, comes from the Latin and the Greek having to do with city. True enough. But where people reside in a city, everybody has to get along because people are living so closely to each other. They need to know how to cooperate and collaborate. In different ways, they need to know how to be courteous and respectful and have manners and look out for each other. It comes with the territory, quite literally. <clears throat> so I'm inviting you all to really kind of step back and look with a, a finer microscope the assumptions that we have made as a society that we have learned to live with that if asked honestly if you had a chance to change it you would want to free ourselves up from the insidiousness of each of these items no one wants hunger no one wants poverty material poverty nobody wants uh, I said homelessness. Nobody wants people to be uneducated. Nobody wants people to 
be with uh, in a war zone. Nobody wants any of these crazy making, completely abnormal <clears throat> aspects of daily life. But indeed, they are here all the time, whether they're on the front or the back burner, they are here. And they are populating our world and they are costing us a fortune on every level. They cost us a fortune economically and they cost us a fortune spiritually. We are paying a cost on the level of soul as we proceed on day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year, allowing these um, scourges on the human soul. And they really are. So I want to give credit to the many, many, many organizations across the world that have been working diligently at eliminating each of these. One of them that comes to mind immediately is the Hunger Project, which in the 1970s was formed through Werner Erhard's organization uh, at that time, EST, and got later to be known as the Forum, and later then as the Landmark Forum. And it's a kind of group process that takes place across the world. And um, a number of people, including Lynn Twist, who is one of the co-founders of the Pachamama Alliance, uh, really kind of uh, cut her teeth on fundraising through the Hunger Project. And that later uh, led to her uh, writing the Soul of Money book and the formation of the Soul of Money Institute to understand the power of money and life force, basically, that can be used to help and support and transform these maniacal assumptions that there needs to be hunger. It's just too big a problem to ever be conquered. Well, audaciously, back in the 1970s, a group of people said, we are going to end world hunger by the year 2000. Well, that in 19, whatever it was, 74, 75 or so, was a truly ambitious and audacious type of commitment. And they did not actually make it. They did not succeed in, <coughs> excuse me, in eliminating world hunger. But you know what they did do? They made tremendous strides. They took a quantum leap in challenging the assumption worldwide in getting thousands, if not millions of people thinking about this inherent assumption that people will always go hungry. And they turned around village after village after village all over Africa, all over Asia, all over South America, all over the world where hunger, food insecurity, if not starvation, was taking place. 
And they did it not actually by giving money as such or giving food, but by teaching people about their own potential and the possibility of caring for themselves to such an extent of using simple tools to grow their own and provide for themselves in extraordinarily imaginative ways. And that led over time to the serious diminution of hunger on our planet. So it's not that they succeeded in the full elimination of hunger by the year 2000, but in the extraordinary results that they did get. So you could think about it as if they did not reach 100%, maybe they raised, they raised, they got to 60 to 65%. Can you imagine? That is an enormous distance. Maybe they got to 70% by now. And it's not just them. Their efforts then spurred on other efforts and started a number of, you know, eddies and tributaries from what they were doing as the river. And this led to even more on-the-ground activity toward that desired outcome. I'm saying that we can do the same thing with peace. We can simply say we're not going to allow ourselves to be so reactive and so immature and so impulsive and reckless that we're going to allow war to continue as the means of threatening, of playing one-upsmanship, and the like. War no more. Department of Peace. Now, there's a tremendous military-industrial complex that Dwight Eisenhower warned us about in 1959 or so. That's very true, and he's very right, and it is an enormous industry, and it is an enormous problem. So, what do I think? I think that the President of the United States, not this one, I mean a real President, uh, and or Cabinet members, and or Congress, or all of them, would have some um, sort of uh, back office meetings with the leading proponents of the military-industrial complex. Have some serious conversations to help them begin to convert and diversify. (laughs) Convert to other businesses and diversify their business activity. And uh, perhaps we wouldn't eliminate the budget 100%, but what if we did by 90 or 95% and we maintained a skeletal military presence, as did all of the countries, by agreement, by global agreement, we don't certainly need nuclear war, or arms, I should say. No one else does either. 
and we don't even need 95% of the armaments currently in place. And by agreement, this can be done, and this would be upgrading human intelligence and human maturity and human consciousness overnight, <laughs> just like that. It would make massive resources, literally trillions of dollars for building education, healthcare, infrastructure, shelter, homes for everyone. <clears throat> and what Andrew Yang, presidential candidate in the United States, who I was very fond of, uh, putting $1,000 a month into the pockets of every, in this case, American. At that rate, if we cut down our military budget, we could probably put it into the hands of a lot of uh, non-Americans as well who have been adversely affected by our military activity over the course of decades. Um, so, you see, I mean, what does it take? A little shift of thinking? Is that so difficult? And all you're doing is coming back to your heart and soul, and your heart and soul will tell you and have told you that, you know, these types of engagements are not needed, they're not wanted, they're robbing us from the kind of life, the kind of true society and civilization we all deserve. Living in a war world with racism and sexism and genderism is just ignorance. It's sad. It's pathetic at this point in the 21st century that we allow our fellow brothers and sisters to indulge in this old, old, bizarre and truly pathological thinking and then behavior is beyond, beyond. <clears throat> so I just want to kind of wrap this up in a moment by saying I want to engage you all in this level of thinking that if we take stands with the way we really feel and not be afraid of it and not be afraid of speaking truth, our own deepest truth, that we know everyone agrees with. We know everybody is feeling the same thing. Because there's really one heart and one mind. And, well, through the coloration of personality and the different developments of soul, different cultural conditions, we will all have different perspectives. Granted, I understand. But when you cut down to the deepest core level of our humanity, free of conditioning, free of programming, free of historical story, we find that we all want, as a species, to be in alignment with love, in alignment with compassion, in alignment with peace, in the alignment with brotherhood and sisterhood, and looking out for each other as one big human family. 
It has nothing to do with our gender. It has nothing to do with the color of our skin. What absurdity is that? We need to be thankful for all of the differences, all of the color differences, all of the gender differences, all of the language differences, all of the cultural differences. That's what makes our world so rich. Nature designed us this way. Nature did not make one flower, one color, one size, but a veritable plethora of flowers of every color, of every shape, of every size, so that flowers as a species can be adaptable to ever-changing conditions. Can you imagine? I mean, monocropping is one of the most bizarre ideas that ever came across you know, the human mind. It just came across the mind of number crunchers, you know, because it doesn't make sense. And if they really thought about that, they would see that even that was a losing financial proposition. We're not going to go into all of that right now from the point of view of regenerative agriculture and uh, <clears throat> multi-cropping, et cetera, et cetera. But it should be pretty obvious because what happens on the micro is also on the macro and everything is in alignment with the way nature set it out to be, not the way man has. So, with that said, we all need to be responsible, we all need to be accountable, and we also need to be kind to each other during this incredibly difficult time. But we also need to be and remain aligned with truth as we see it and the facts on the ground, not let ourselves go wild and nutty <clears throat> with what's going on in the media or what's going on in the body politic, or the economy. I mean, even though, you know, many of us are being set back far by this nonsense going on, uh, we don't know the origins of this whole thing. Some say it's bio-warfare, some say it's bat soup. I don't know the answer to that. But uh, these do raise interesting questions, and certainly worth going into. Uh, but for now... We just want to at least make sure people are safe and looking out after each other and socially distancing and cleaning and washing and all of the things. But also remember that there are, this is very important, there are solutions, many solutions. And one of the most vital and easiest and cheapest of them all is high-dose vitamin C drips. And they were used in Wuhan, and the city of Shanghai, Shanghai endorsed this, recommended it, because they've released at least a dozen, if not more, people from hospital there after a relatively short period of time, virus-free from vitamin C alone. So please know, this is where our emphasis needs to be on the solutions. Not on the spread. We want to know what it is. We want testing to take place. But most important, truly most important from my point of view, is knowing that there are remedies and they are working, they have been proven, and they should be in the public mainstream media. 
and you have not once heard reference to the patients that were released from the Chinese hospital in Shanghai, I believe it was, from the use of vitamin C drips. So, high dose. On my website, there is a series of articles posted which list the findings of the of many doctors. There are also warnings. There's also a warning about the uh, way fear and anxiety eat away at the immune system. There are a list of remedies, some of which are made uh, available through the wonderful research of Richard Gale and Dr. Gary Null. Uh, I have an article there by Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, by myself, holistic healthcare practitioner and psychotherapist, <clears throat> and others. So I really encourage you to go to www.abetterworld.tv abetterworld.tv and look it up and read it and share it with others. Also, this talk could be very helpful to a lot of people. So know that we have all sorts of services here at A Better World. My counseling and coaching sessions, my computerized kinesiology sessions, these are all done easily by phone. Uh, that's how I do most of them, or by Skype. Very simple to do. Uh, so avail yourself of these, the energy balancing services, using the HEB, etc. So I want to thank you all for your diligence and paying attention and keeping healthy and happy and funny and stay aligned also with your love and your humor. This is Mitchell J. Rabin. I want to thank you again for tuning in and listening. Share it with your friends. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.